Thanks for tuning into Reach Radio, a podcast for public health professionals looking to expand their network, be inspired, and discover resources and tools that help improve the experience of public health professionals and patients in their communities. I'm your host, Fran. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Reach Radio. I am honored to be able to introduce you to Teresa Stiver, the CEO of Walden Family Services. Teresa has served for more than 10 years in leadership at the organization and oversees all development campaigns. She's responsible for providing direction and achieving the agency's mission and vision. Teresa and her team are dedicated to ensuring a solid foundation for children and young adults. Her help and the help of volunteers and collaborators are really instrumental in paving the way for a brighter and healthier future for children and generations to come. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Now, tell us a bit about your organization. Well, Walden has been around for 45 years, and we've been supporting children, youth, and families in Southern California since 1976. We provide foster care, adoption, transitional housing, and parenting programs, all in the efforts to keep our clients safe, housed, educated, and medically and mentally well. We've pioneered a lot of programs in California tailored to meet the specific needs of our medically fragile and neuroatypical clients. We've also started the LGBTQ youth program. We were one of the first in the nation to work with that population and find them safe housing. And we also specialize in working with older youth and those who come from large sibling groups. Previously, we've been told that those youth have been unadoptable and that no one would want to take them into their homes, but we've been able to do that. And along with our LGBTQ youth, unfortunately, Black, Latino, and Indigenous children are overrepresented in foster care. They're least likely to get reunified with a biological family member and or to get adopted. So we've had a lot of success in working with that population. We do that by working with a trauma-informed equity lens to support them. And while we do that, we actively engage in untangling systemic discrimination that's inherent in the child welfare, juvenile justice, education, and the medical systems of care that our children are involved with. That's so powerful, the work that you're doing. Tell me a little bit more about the medical aspect of that. How do you help to ensure they continue to have the support that they need in terms of their health care? Well, we tailor their health care individually to the needs of each client. And we work with a special uh, child family team decision-making process for medical care with our nurse, our social worker, the county, everyone who's involved. We tailor the system to meet the needs of that child. So for instance, if they have diabetes and they were removed from the home because their family were unable to manage the diabetes and they were in ER several times, we will help teach the youth to manage their diabetes. And once they get that on track, then they're able to go back home to their individual family members. So everything is absolutely tailored to the unique needs of the child working with a wide array of people and basically serving as their advocate in the medical system because many times their own parents and their family didn't know how to do that and and the youth were too young. Wow, that's incredible. And how do you actually engage with other organizations who are, are doing this type of work or do they know that you exist or is it difficult to connect with them? What's the dynamic there like with other key stakeholders? Well, we're the second largest provider of the work that we do in Southern California. So people within our industry know us pretty well. But I think one of the things that we do best is to collaborate with other organizations. 
we have a wide array of organizations that we work with. We work with the medical systems, Loma Linda, for instance, we're partnering with them on a project to keep children well. And there are a wide variety of organizations, John Burton Advocates for Youth, the California Alliance of Children Family Services, the Family Focused Treatment Association and First Place for Youth are just one of the many organizations that we collaborate with. Because even though we're the second largest provider, Walden is pretty small in Southern California. And our youth don't represent large voting blocks. We aren't a powerful lobbying industry alone, but together we can do so much more. So we work with both the mental health systems, the medical systems, all of the advocacy groups, really to fight on behalf of this population. They are the most vulnerable population, aside from seniors, they're really the most vulnerable population in California. And in Southern California, we have the largest group of foster youth in the nation. And there, there just aren't enough resources for them. So Walden, we by far, we could not do it on our own. And if we didn't collaborate and we didn't reach out to every organization, the education, the recreational, the medical, the advocacy systems, and our legislators, our legislators are really, really important in our work. Representative Karen Bass, for instance, is a huge champion for foster youth. In San Diego, we have Nathan Fletcher. We had the recently termed out uh, Senator Jim Beal. Our legislators that advocate on our behalf are, are huge, and they really um, represent the needs of foster youth in Sacramento, where normally our youth wouldn't have a vote, a voice. I think that that's amazing that the work that you're doing and how you're able to bring so many groups together. And, you know, the way that you presented it makes it sound like it's easy, but I can't imagine that it truly has been. Can you describe some of the challenges that your organization perhaps faces as it trying to do as much as it can for these children and young adults? Oh gosh, I couldn't begin to tell you all the challenges. There's almost a new challenge every day that we we face, but I think the best thing is that we don't have to do it alone. I'll give you a key example is that um, here in San Diego County, um, recently we were just notified that there's a very old law in the books that foster youth aren't eligible for unemployment. And um, San Diego County wanted to collect the unemployment that our kids uh, received due to them losing their jobs from the pandemic. And, you know, it's a very, very old law in the books. And we had never heard about it in our 45 years of um, working with foster youth. And this is the only county that has reached out to us and, and said, hey, you, you know, do you want to go back to your foster youth and collect it or you can pay it back on their behalf? And we were just dumbfounded because that's not what the spirit of AB 12 is. AB 12 was the program that helped transitional age of foster youth stay in past the ages from 18 to 21. And so, you know, we reached out to our many partners to see what we can do. Well, first and foremost, we're going to have to get some of that legislation changed because why should foster youth be singled out of all of the Americans who've collected unemployment across the country? Why should they be singled out? Their employers paid into the EBB system. And we know that the criminals illegally collected unemployment. So why should foster youth be further stigmatized by getting their that benefit taken away from them when they're trying to work and support themselves? Again, 
We have a lot of partners that I mentioned earlier to you, First Place for Youth, et cetera, and a lot of legislators who are understanding that our youth are already stigmatized, they're already vulnerable, and we don't need these onerous rules and regulations to uh, further hold them back. So I feel um, confident that we'll be able to get this resolved, but that's, that's just some of the many challenges that we face. Another challenge that's happening right now is we're having difficulty getting uh, fingerprints through. When we get new foster parents or new staff members, they have to be fingerprinted and there's some issues at the state level. So the state is working very hard during this pandemic and this economic crisis, but we have children in need of foster parents and foster parents who can't get their fingerprints through. So we almost have an entire team just to deal with all of the little bureaucratic challenges that happen on a daily basis. And that doesn't even begin to compare to all of the medical challenges that we've had with COVID. It's been really, really frightening since we work with so many medically fragile youth. So many of them have asthma, diabetes, those who haven't lost their jobs who've been working through COVID and have gotten it. So it's been frightening for them. We're seeing a huge increase in anxiety and depression in our youth. The mental health challenges um, have gone through the roof. So we've been working overtime to make sure that our, our youth have everything that they need um, and then our, our amazing foster and adoptive parents are taking in children during COVID, children who've been tested positive for COVID. So our nurses are working overtime, making sure that those families have all the resources that they need so they can take those kiddos in, they can quarantine, you know, they're delivering diapers, formula, you know, everything that food, everything that they need so they can take those kids in. So I would say that we have so many challenges every day. It'd be really hard to um, list them all, but I'm really, really proud of our amazing team that have banded together during this time. And we have not stopped. We have not slowed down. This has been an incredibly busy time. And I know our own staff have faced their own challenges as well. You know, some of them, their spouses have lost employment. Their kids are not in school. They're not only trying to take care of their own family, they're taking care of our clients. So it's been nonstop challenges at this time. My gray hairs are certainly coming out, but I'm so amazed at our incredible team, our really generous donors who provided everything that we need to support everybody, and our board members who've gone above and beyond um, to make sure that we have everything that we need from a fiscal, a legal, and a governance perspective to continue to work during this really difficult time right now. I just can't believe like the way you guys have been able to continue and move forward despite all these challenges is so impressive. Makes me sort of think that there's so much potential out there and so much opportunity and that you're really doing all that you can to take advantage of it. Can you describe us some of what those additional opportunities are and what you're looking forward to in the future? There are so many opportunities, I think. What we're looking forward to most is obviously getting through this pandemic and getting our, our younger kiddos back in school. That needs to be the, the number one priority, as I mentioned, because of the mental health toll that our children are facing. They're more isolated than the general population because they're not with their biological family. Our older youth, in particular, 8 to 21, they're living in an apartment on their own. And they're, you know, they're trying 
everything that they had been doing in the past, they've been establishing routines, going to work, going to school. Now they're learning remotely. All of our kids are learning remotely. It's upset the routine that many of our kids crave when they come into foster care because they didn't have routine before. So we're looking forward to what may be a new normal, but a little bit more routine uh, for our kiddos so that all of them can go back to school and also so that all of our older youth can be gainfully employed and that they can have the opportunities that they need to be successful, particularly with our children. We have so many children with IEPs and, and they have been receiving no services in the past year. And we know that our LGBTQ youth and our our children of color have already been lagging in the educational system. So many studies have shown that. So our children are falling further and further behind. As I mentioned, especially those kids with the IEP who've received no services. So we are desperate for them to be able to get back and receive those services. So I think the opportunity, the the light that we see at the end of the tunnel is the schools opening soon. And um, hopefully that they will provide additional services for our kiddos, the most vulnerable. But we're very, very fortunate to have some supportive funders who realize the extra challenges. So we are supplementing that as best as we can. That is assistance that so many, Teresa, are needing. And the fact that your organization is doing it is really very commendable. I want to go back for just a moment. Do you mind sharing a little bit more with us around the young adult program, some of the, you know, the older children, 16 years of age and older, and the program that you offer for them? Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So uh, youth that are in foster care at Walden, when they're about 16, we start working with them, providing with them with the life skills that they need when they become adults to be successful. So they have, through AB12, the opportunity to stay into foster care beyond the age of 18. And that's something that Walden has worked on for a very long time. We had our own program prior to the start of AB12, which resulted in the Transitional Housing Plus and the Transitional Housing NMD, Non-Dependent Minors Program. So we've been doing it on our own through private funding before AB12 started, but then we really lobbied because we know that 18-year-olds aren't going to be successful on their own. I have my own kids, 21 and 23, and they still depend on their parents. Can you imagine sending an 18-year-old out on their own? who has grown up in multiple households, who maybe doesn't have a GED or a high school diploma and expecting them to be successful. We saw huge homelessness rates, incarceration rates, pretty much horrible outcomes for this population. So AB12 really said, hey, we're going to let these kids stay in foster care if they so choose beyond the age of 18 and give them some opportunities either to stay with their current foster parents, to go to college and be supported while they're there living in the dorms, or to get their own apartment and provide them with support. And so we help them get their own apartments at the age of 18. And as I mentioned, we're the second largest provider of this program in Southern California, and we provide them a fully furnished and stocked apartment and we provide them with all the skills that they need to become a successful adult. We meet with them weekly. We teach them about healthy eating, how to cook, how to clean, how to open a bank account, how to develop healthy relationships. That's something that a lot of our youth have not seen. They have maybe been children of the byproducts of domestic violence, or they may have been in abusive situations themselves. Many have come out of the juvenile justice system. Many have been part of CSEC, which is the commercially sexually exploited children. 
So they don't know about healthy relationships, boundaries, et cetera. So we provide them with all of the tools that they need, which first and foremost is a lot of mental health support and a lot of medical support, but as well, a lot of the life skill support that they need to become successful. And our youth are beating all of the state and national metrics for this population. They're graduating from our program with savings, with jobs. Um, all of them have gotten either their GEDs or their high school diplomas. The majority of them have gone on to further education, whether it be community college, vocational training, or four-year institutions, and they're all successful. They are all productive, either working, going to school, or both. And this is going to make a huge difference in California because many of the homeless and incarcerated populations are former foster youth. In fact, one of the prison systems recently had a fundraiser for us because many of their prisoners were either in foster care or their children are in foster care now. So what we are doing is stopping the um, foster care um, to prison pipeline. We are breaking the cyclical levels of poverty and child abuse and neglect, and our youth are becoming successful. We are seeing that their children are not ending up in foster care, that they are not ending up incarcerated, they are not ending up homeless. So not only are they reaching their own personal goals. But from Cal, if you don't even think about it from an altruistic uh, viewpoint, if you think about it from a fiscal viewpoint, California is going to do so much better because A, we reduce the prison population and B, we reduce the homelessness population. So it's a win-win for everybody. We're incredibly proud to be one of the first organizations to be licensed in Southern California to do this. We're incredibly proud to have been on part of the steering committee that set the standards for this program. But we're most proud of the results that our clients have been able to achieve and that they're becoming their best selves. The achievements are just incredible. And the work is so important. And I love the way that you, you know, sort of call out really breaking the cycles, right? And giving folks the knowledge and the tools and helping them to develop the abilities that they need. And I don't know, Teresa, it's sounding like a volunteer opportunity. Can you tell us about your volunteer program? Well, obviously during COVID right now, we're limiting our in-person volunteer programs to keep everybody safe. But we do um, always uh, look for volunteers in a variety of ways. So first and foremost, our board of directors, we're always looking for more board members. And then we have a lot of committees that people can join on. But we're also looking for people to do trainings for our youth. So in the past, we've had people come in and talk about healthy eating and healthy lifestyles, um, how to live mindfully, doing um, mindful meditation and yoga exercises. We've had people come in with financial backgrounds to talk about the importance of opening a bank account, how to save, how to be fiscally responsible. So there are a lot of opportunities to help this population throughout Southern California. We have offices throughout Southern California. So people can look at our website at waldenfamily.org. And then in non-COVID years as well, obviously not during this time, but, you know, always thinking about the holidays, different organizations come in and are very generous, providing gift cards for our older youth during the holidays, during the school season, providing school supplies, et cetera. So there are so many ways that people can help. But first and foremost, we need foster and adoptive parents, always. There are not enough foster and adoptive parents in Southern California. So if it's anything that people are even thinking about, there is no commitment 
just look on our website at waldenfamily.org. There is an interest form. Fill it out, send it in. Someone will contact you and we're doing everything on Zoom right now. And you can learn if that's something for you. And if it's not, we're asking people to do a speakers bureau for us. Go out, go out to your church, to your business, to any community organization that you know of and talk about the need for foster and adoptive parents. And if it's not through Walden, there are many wonderful um, ways that people can become foster and adoptive parents. And as I mentioned, we have the largest foster population in the nation, and we need more people to take these youth in. Teresa, you gave some great points there and some great opportunities. If there were a resource that you have found to just be invaluable in terms of the work that you and your organization is doing, would you mind sharing that with our listeners, giving us an idea of what they too might want to consider for their own organizations in terms of pushing forward, and particularly when there, you know, there's a need to do so much and yet so few resources that are out there to help? Yes, as I mentioned earlier, and I cannot stress enough, collaboration with other organizations. We have so many key partners and stakeholders that help us do what we do. We could not do it without them, whether it's our volunteers, the different organizations that our children are involved with outside. There there are many, many foundations who support us, both with technical support, funding support, but collaboration is key. You know, to quote Helen Keller, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. At Walden, we truly believe that it's only by working together that we can help California's children, youth, and families thrive. And we just absolutely love to collaborate with organizations that are interested in helping foster children and youth become their best selves. So I would say that if you feel overwhelmed, and believe me, at many times we do feel overwhelmed with all of the things that are happening and changing on a day-to-day basis, even outside of this pandemic and economic crisis, reach out to other organizations. People are interested in helping. I know that I'm always available. People have asked me, you know, hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? How did you manage this? What resources are out there? And I am willing to talk to other organizations on a regular basis. Check me out on LinkedIn, but find people who have the same goals as you and find ways that you can work together. Economies of scale are very important. Um, Don't duplicate programs that other organizations offer. So for instance, when I came to Walden, we had a scholarship program, but I there was another organization that offered scholarships that was doing great work and had a long tenure. So we reached out to them and said, hey, would our youth be eligible for your scholarships? Absolutely. Okay, great. We're going to send our youth there. What can we do to help you? So those are the types of collaboration that make it possible to stay afloat and to stay relevant. Um, Otherwise, we wouldn't be here for 45 years. Without those collaborations with those organizations, we absolutely would not have been around for 45 years. And we tend to um, make sure that uh, we're just as helpful to other organizations as um, people have been helpful to us. I think those are some great examples and certainly emphasizes and highlights how important collaboration truly, truly is. Now, Teresa, you know, when folks come on to Reach Radio, they're here because they want for others to connect with them and collaborate with them. So tell us, what would be the best way for our listeners to be able to connect with you and your team? Well, absolutely. Go on our website. All of our team leaders, our emails and our phone numbers are directly on there, waldenfamily.org, or reach out to me on LinkedIn. 
And we'll be happy to connect with people and find ways that we can work together because it's just so important to, you know, help make our community safer, better, and stronger to help all of our residents. And we're very open to doing that. Teresa, it has been such a pleasure having you on the call today, having you here on the show today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for taking us into the world of Walden and giving us the opportunity as well to learn how we can go about helping to participate. Thank you for being on the show and thank you to our listeners. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into Reach Radio. This program is made possible by listeners like you. To learn more about Reach and to support this program, visit www.reachtl.org.